before we look at the last two Beatitudes, perhaps we might just remind ourselves why we're looking at the Beatitudes in the first place. Um, the Sermon on the Mount um, has obviously been put where it was by Matthew for a reason. And it's quite often described as Jesus' manifesto of the kingdom. Um, and it, it opens up and declares what Jesus is looking for and what Jesus is introducing into his kingdom. And he needed to do that because the people at the time had got a totally wrong conception as to what the kingdom of God was about. They were looking at it very much in terms of physical things, in terms of the here and now. And obviously the here and now is involved, but it's a different aspect or a different approach to the here and now. And so Jesus wanted to make clear to people that the kingdom that he was introducing was not the one that they were expecting. Remember, they wanted to make him king. They wanted him to drive out the Romans. They wanted him to do a number of things that were there for, for their benefit in a way. And Jesus is actually trying to demonstrate to them what the kingdom of God is really all about. And the order in the, in, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount is vital. Because if we get the order out of, of sync, then it makes the thing impossible. Because the order of the Sermon on the Mount is that character always precedes conduct. And that's really the New Testament approach. Character always precedes conduct. I looked up uh, that James passage, a, a commentary by Alec Mateer, and there's a couple of quotes from there that I thought were quite, quite interesting. The first one is this. The Christian life is not added like makeup to the outside of our personalities, but is an outgrowth of inner transformation. The Christian life is not added like makeup to the outside of our personalities, but is an outgrowth of inner transformation. James' practical advice is not given with verbs, active words, but with adverbs. It's not directives to do this or that activity, but with the requirement of a certain spirit which is to fill that activity, whatever it may be. So it's not the activity that's important. It's the spirit in which we carry out that activity. We might desire him to specify conduct, whereas what he insists on is character. And that's what the Beatitudes is all about. It's a description of a Christian's character. It's not something that's for special Christians. It's something that should apply to each one of us. This is the character that we should have as Christians. That's why David, um, good, good enough last week, said that a lot of people prefer to preach from the epistles than from Jesus' teaching, because Jesus' teaching is too jolly hard. Um, and it is, because Jesus is quite straight and quite to the point. And the Beatitudes are very much straight and to the point. I remember um, reading Lloyd-Jones' Um, and he, he was asked why he was preaching. He preached a long series on the Beatitudes. And he was asked why he did it. And he said, it certainly wasn't my choice. Had I had the choice, I wouldn't have preached on it. But I felt God was calling me to preach on it because he said it's too jolly hard. In the sense, not that the words are hard to explain, but the truths behind them are so searching and so revealing. And so we come on to the last two Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers and blessed are the persecuted. 
So, blessed are the peacemakers. Sometimes it's useful to see what the scripture doesn't say, as well as what the scripture does say. And what it doesn't say is, blessed are the peacekeepers. It says, blessed are the peacemakers. It's not talking about people who will have uh, peace at any price, those that will appease, those that are happy to just keep a lid on things because it's much nicer, it's much, much more pleasant if we don't really sort of dig underneath. He's talking about peacemaking. And he's saying that we, as believers, should be peacemakers. It's part of our character as a Christian. So, what sort of person should I be? Well, I guess the first thing is, we should be people who want to make peace, but real peace, and not just keeping the peace when there is no peace in reality. I remember Faye and I went to Cyprus, she's probably forgotten this, but years ago we went to Cyprus, and um, you can travel around Cyprus as freely as you like. I, I'm a, this is going back a few years, it may have changed now. But you could travel around Cyprus as much as you like, and it was a really peaceful, very pleasant place until you want to go from one end of the island to, to the other. And you suddenly find a barricade. And you find there are armed guards. And there are people wearing blue UN hats. Because in fact, although everything appeared to be very peaceful, there was actually a state of aggression between the north and the south. And so we need to be careful that what Jesus is talking about here is not just keeping the lid on stuff, not just having a nice, um, easy life, but we actually need to deal with the reality. We need to bring people to peace with God and people with people. And sometimes that is very difficult, particularly if two people don't want to be brought together. But our responsibility is to be peacemakers. Which means that our own attitudes and the way that we live must be different. Because if we're the sort of person that causes aggravation, then we're not the sort of person that's going to be a peacemaker. And that's where it gets... This is where these beatitudes become very pointed into the, and, and get right down to the depth of our real, real, real personalities. Am I the sort of person that is going out of my way to make peace, whatever the cost? Or am I too busy getting my own way? Let's look at James, because James actually has quite a lot to say about about this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. He's calling us to search our own hearts and see what's going on in the depths of our hearts. Not to worry about other people at this stage, but you know, what am I really like inside? Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. 
So we have to search ourselves. Am I an ambitious person? Am I a selfish person? Am I too bothered about getting my way? Or am I prepared to stand aside for somebody else? For the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. And so, in this beatitude, Jesus is asking us to search our own hearts and see what sort of person we are and how we respond to other people and what our desire is for other people. Is our desire always best for the other person, even if it costs me? That's the quality of a peacemaker. And you can see why this beatitude comes in here. We have to have a completely new disposition. James is saying, we can't be peacemakers if self or selfish ambition are still motivating us. Motivation in the Christian life is everything. God is not worried or concerned about what's going on on the outside. What he's concerned about is what's going on on the inside. He says, James says, we, will, we need to be objective and impartial. Well, we can't be objective or impartial if we've got our own agenda to run, if we've got our own axe to grind. We must be able to put ourselves last, and that's why these scriptures are so searching. To what extent am I prepared to submit my interests or my desires for other people? Those are the qualities of a peacemaker. How do we really respond when things don't go my way? Do I say, well, I would have preferred something different, but this is the way that it's going? Or do we say, well, sorry, but I'm not accepting that? This is, again, part of the challenge to peacemaking. If we consider Jesus, he was the son of God. He had everything, but he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. And so the first first of the Beatitudes is that we need to be poor in spirit, to see our real poverty of spirit. Remember Paul, he said, I could name a whole host of things which would demonstrate why I have every right to be in authority, to be in a, a place of privilege. I have all sorts of abilities and attributes, but I consider them as absolute dung, to use the more polite phrase. My one desire, my one desire is the glory of Christ. And nothing is going to get in that way. Not my desires, not my will, not my purpose. I've got one desire, and that's that Christ will be glorified. 
It's so deceptive, isn't it? Things seem to be going so well in our Christian lives, and then someone treads on our corns. And then we find out what's really going on inside us. And I've had to apologize to people on more than one occasion because I've reacted in the wrong way. And it demonstrates what's actually happening in my life. But we have to deal with this issue of self and selfish ambition and poverty of spirit if we really want to move on in the Christian life. And the second one, blessed are those who mourn. Some, I remember somebody um, preaching once and, and, and trying to make the point that Jesus, because he went to the um, wedding at Cana, and because some of his parables have a, a certain um, amusing point to them, you know, he was, he was the life and soul of the party. But actually, if you look at Jesus in the New Testament, you'll find you get much more about the fact that he was the man who wept over Jerusalem. Do you remember the story of Lazarus? Jesus went to the tomb, and Lazarus was dead, and Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? Because he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So why did he weep? He wept because he saw the effect that sin had, that death had, that Satan had, and it caused him to weep. And if we recognize in our own selves the depth of our sin, then we're not going to be the sort of person that's going to be overly ambitious because we know that we've got nothing to bring. We genuinely have got poverty of spirit. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Michael Green says of meekness that it means we're so small before God that God can afford to exalt us without the danger of us getting proud. We are so small in our own eyes and so small before God that he can afford to to exalt us without the danger of us getting proud. Again, Christ, the Son of God, came and submitted himself perfectly to the Father. He said, I'm not going to say anything except what God the Father tells me. I'm not going to do anything except what God the Father tells me. I'm not here to carry out my own agenda. I'm here to carry out the agenda of my Father. Perfect submission. And then we could go on, the peacemaker is one who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, not compromise. So often we compromise. And I think that's one of the biggest problems we have in the church in this day and age, that uh, we say to the world, you mustn't do this, and they look back at us and say, well, you're doing it, so why shouldn't we? And I think that's a real challenge to us. Because our righteousness is probably no more righteous than some of their righteousness. And there's this tremendous challenge The pure in heart, how pure is my heart? The merciful, how merciful am I to other people? All these beatitudes work together. And there's a sort of progression to them in a way. Um, But none of them is an isolated uh, beatitude. We're not told to do this, but that one doesn't matter. They're a package. 
and they're a description of what we, we, we should be. And that's why looking at the Beatitudes is so difficult because we don't like God searching us at that level. We don't like God un, unraveling what's going on in our lives. But if we want to grow, if we want to develop, we've got to allow that process to carry on because that's the way that he works. In making peace, God could not ignore the problem of sin. He couldn't just say, look, I love these people and I want to forgive them, therefore everything's going to be all right. I'll just cover it over. He couldn't do that. He had to send his son to die on the cross. It was the only way that he could deal with the real issues. And we also can't afford to ignore sin in our own lives, sin in the church, sin anywhere. We have to deal with it. Peacemaking is costly, but it's essential if we're going to reveal the glory of God to the world. Because the world is looking at us and it's saying, well, how are you different to us? What is it that you've got? Now, forget what you're saying. and We can hear what you're saying. We can hear what you're saying. But what have you actually got? What are you demonstrating that is different to us? And this quality of peacemaking, this quality of holiness, this quality of humility, of love, it's often said that love is the main characteristic of the Christian. Well, actually, humility is probably mentioned as many times as love in the New Testament. Humility is as much a characteristic of the Christian as is love. And we find that peacemaking, if we are peacemakers, demonstrates sonship because it's the peacemakers that are the sons of God, not the problem makers or the gossips or anything else. It's the peacemakers. And we need to search ourselves. Is this the way that I operate as far as other people are concerned. And then just briefly going on to the second, the other beatitude, blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. In John 15, again, Jesus says this, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I said to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. They will persecute you also. It's a promise. Um, Ted prayed earlier for the persecuted church. Well, we should be the persecuted church. But we're not the persecuted church because we don't actually say anything or do anything that causes persecution. Paul says, in fact, everybody who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. Not may be persecuted, will be persecuted. So... Interesting. Right from the Garden of Eden, right from the beginning, the righteous have been persecuted. Why did Cain kill Abel? Because he offered a better sacrifice. And right the way through life, 
with Abraham and Esau, Jacob, uh, sorry, Abraham and um, Ishmael, Jacob, um, Jacob and, and so on. There's this conflict always between the godly and the ungodly. But there has to be a clear divide between the two in order for the ungodly to take any notice of the godly anyway. Because otherwise, you're not going to get any conflict. But we have to be careful that we're persecuted for the right reasons. Because sometimes we get persecuted because we do daft things. And then we've got nobody to blame but ourselves. Or we get persecuted for secondary issues that we make a big deal of when it really isn't the big issue. The big issue is, are we being persecuted for righteousness' sake? We shouldn't look for persecution. But if our light is shining brightly, then Jesus says, you should expect it. Because you will be presenting a challenge that the world will not like. If our Christian witness is causing us to be thought well of by people, we need to ask ourselves a question, because Jesus said this, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. And he said that in Luke's equivalent to the Sermon on the Mount. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. And so we need to ask ourselves, well, do all men speak well of us? Because really, there's nothing about our, our lifestyle that is really cutting and challenging. And so the Beatitudes challenge us to a completely different lifestyle to that of the world. It's not a better quality of what we see around us, but something that's totally different in quality and type. And we need to ask ourselves, is our lifestyle totally different in quality and type to what the rest of the world has? Or is our lifestyle sort of a, a sort of Christianized worldliness in a way? These Beatitudes get right down to the nitty-gritty. What is the real quality of my life? How do I stack up against these Beatitudes? That's what Jesus is asking. We're citizens of a new kingdom. We're new creations with new priorities serving a new Lord and Master. Is that true of me? Is that true of you? Am I a new creation? Uh, sorry, am I a citizen of a new kingdom? Or do I live really in this world but I'm a bit different? Am I a citizen of a new kingdom? Am I a new creation? Have I got within me a principle of life that is totally different? Have I got new priorities? Are they Jesus' priorities? And are we serving him as a Lord and Master? And then those that are persecuted receive the same blessing as the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Sorry if that was a bit sort of dour, but I'm afraid, you know, the Beatitudes ask us or require us to ask ourselves some pretty searching questions. Because Jesus is saying, my kingdom is not of this world. It's totally different to this world. And my people who are living in my kingdom should be totally different 
to those people who are living in that kingdom. And so the challenge is, is my lifestyle different? Am I in this different kingdom, or am I actually living in the other kingdom, but with a veneer of Christianity? Because once, once, the, once we get hold of the, the truths of the Beatitude and we live out the Beatitude, then I think people will start taking notice of us. Because at the moment they don't. Not really. And that's, that's the challenge.